Hello listeners and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis World Cup podcast. I'm your host Adam Scully and we have another exciting episode for you all today. It's day two of our World Cup podcast series and the games are about to start coming thick and fast. In yesterday's episode we previewed Group A including Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal and the Netherlands as well as looking at our top three tactical battles to keep an eye on over the first round of fixtures. We also previewed the game between Qatar and Ecuador, which is getting ready to kick off as of recording this. In tomorrow's episode, we will be reviewing the game for you all, looking at the tactics from the game, so stay tuned for that. Today, though, we've guests on to discuss England's game with Iran and Senegal's opening clash with the Netherlands. So without further ado, let's dive right into the analysis. Satish, welcome to the podcast. How are you? All good, mate. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm looking forward to the games. I think within the hour we finish recording here, Qatar and Ecuador kicks off in the World Cup opener. Brian, welcome back to the podcast you were on yesterday and you were a fantastic guest. Are you looking forward to the competition getting underway? Thanks, Adam. Yes, I feel very happy and (laughs) very excited about the start of the World Cup. So, yes, living the dream, basically. (laughs) In tomorrow's episode, we will review the Qatar and Ecuador game and looking at the breakdown of the tactics and, and the setup of both sides, things that, that happened in the game. Obviously, there's no point predicting now. It hasn't actually happened yet, but it will when this is probably published. First up, though, we'll discuss England and Iran. Leading up to the World Cup, Dragan Skogic, the Iranian manager, helped Iran to qualify for the World Cup. He was sacked in the summer, having won 15 of his 18 matches. He was then reinstated as the manager, uh, a few days later, I think it was six days later. And then he was sacked again. Players apparently had an issue with the manager. There was guys like Mehdi Taremi, who we'll discuss coming up, playing, of course, with FC Porto at the minute, and he's absolutely smashing it. Reportedly, and again, I, I say reportedly because I don't want to name names without it being true, players went to the board, they went to the Iranian FA, and they spoke out against Gokic. They spoke out about his methods. How he played, which made me laugh because Carlos Kirosh isn't exactly Pep Guardiola's disciple. But as I said, Mediterranean was a player that wasn't getting selected under Skokic for several qualifying games. And then, of course, in the end, the board decided, not unanimously, but it went down to a vote, I think, of eight, eight votes, and, and Skokic was dismissed. Carlos Kirosh came back, and Carlos Kirosh is Iran's longest serving manager, of course. His accolades in the game are astonishing from his time at Manchester United. His two spells at Manchester United, having won the Premier League and, and, and several other uh, cup competitions. I don't think he was at the club when they won the Champions League. I think he had left by then, but he, of course, managed Real Madrid too. He qualified for the 2002 World Cup of South Africa. The 20 He didn't take South Africa at that World Cup, though he, was, he had a row with the South African FA and then resigned before the World Cup began. He then took over at Portugal. He guided Portugal to the 2010 World Cup and then Iran to 2014, 2018. And now he will be in charge in the dugout again. He he was Egypt's manager on the cusp of qualifying for the World Cup back in at the start of the year and it didn't quite work out for him. But of course, England have a very familiar foe with against Kirosh in the dugout. Satish, yeah. do you fancy Iran's chances in this game against England? And how do you think they'll look to set up? Uh, I think it would be very interesting because I think Iran would play in a formation of 4-1-4-1 and they'll slowly transfer into a 4-3-3 towards like while, while they're attacking. I think what I would fancy is like, you know, England, they usually hyper, right? Like they move forward. The, like 
I expect England to line up in a 3-4-2-1. With mm-hmm. that, they, press, like, they usually press high. So, and in terms of Iran, they have a way of attacking directly. Because when you look at the data, they have quite a high percentile in final third passes, mm-hmm. like for final third entries. And the way they progress the ball is long passes. So, I feel when England is trying to commit more players, like when they try to press high, there are chances they leave spaces behind. And if Iran could get the right long pass and if they could find their attacker, I think this tactical battle would be interesting to see. And if they get it right, they might be able to win. Well, one of the questions I, I wanted to pose to both of you, and actually I'll come to you, Brian Dundas. Obviously, we know how England like to set up, especially against bigger teams. They use a 3-4-2-1, and they, when they sit deep, it's a 5-2-3 or a 5-4-1. Will they change formation for this game, being you know, the heavy favourites to win, the fact that Iran will most likely sit deep and defend for most of the game and look to hit them on the break, will they switch to a 4-2-3-1, which is also a, a, a shape that Gareth Southgate has used during his time with the three lines? Uh, I think with... Like, yeah, Brad, go on, sir. No, it's fine, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll cut that out. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, yeah, Adam, I think... I don't think England could change his player formation. I think Gareth Southgate is a bit rigid with his 3 for 2 one uh, formation. Uh, I even think the formation is going to be, with the lineup in this case is going with Walker in the back three. So, yeah, I think with a, lots of injuries and, you know, the, the, the names Gareth Solgate has called up, a lot of critics uh, came in for him as for all the managers that have been calling up their their players. So, yeah, I expected to see the, the back three against Iran. Iran is a team that like to play themselves in a mid to low block, looking to uh, win the ball in their own third and throw long balls to Mehdi Taremi, who's basically a beast, holding players at his back and controlling the ball and then uh, making passes to space, like players to Alireza Jambach and Sardar Asmoon, that I think is a he, well, he's supposed to, He's supposed to be fit, though. Was, so, yeah, so he's supposed to be fit for the first oh. game, which is something I was, I was going to bring up. He obviously... Yeah. I was surprised when he was included in the squad. For the TFA preview magazine, I spoke about how Asmoon probably wouldn't make it to the squad, but he was brought anyway. And it looks like he will be fit, which is a huge, huge boost for Iran. Yeah, that's huge news for, for Iran. And about Carlos Queiroz, he had a really bizarre and strange time at Colombia. Uh, people criticize him a lot because their teams look like a bit flat, you know, and a bit slow. I watch him a lot here at Colombia and a lot at Egypt. Uh, I watch Egypt a lot in the past AFCON. Uh, they were a bit like the same flat, basically with no ideas. The ball was thrown to Salah and Basically, he was the man to solve the situation. So we have to see what kind of plan uh, Kairos uh, is going to develop against England. But I think Iron have really good players. Taremi is a, a really a beast, and they have interesting players like Shamangoros and the man plays for Brentford. We yeah. About yeah, 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 he plays for for Brentford. I don't think he performed that well in the Premier League, but mm-hmm. he's. A really interesting player in the World Cup is a different tournament. Players are going with the full, full power, full energy. So it's going to be an interesting one. But I think 
we have to see what's the plan for Keras. You know, you were saying before, he's a a really strange man in the world of football. He was assistant coach, I think, for Real Madrid so long ago. Uh, and he sacked a lot of, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. He came back for their teams. At Colombia, I think it was one of the strangest times of his career. Uh, lots of players that the people cri- criticize him for calling up. So, yeah, bizarre one, but he has a good team, an interesting team. And they, in, in the last matches of the uh, uh, friendlies and previous the World Cup, I think they were quite good looking to play what they want, mid-block, but no trying to get in that much on the ball and send the mid-block to low-block. Uh, so, yes, I think England uh, has the right players to win this match, but, you know, Bellingham, Trippier, Saka, they are... You know, the entire squad is really good for England. And, you know, they are the favorites for this match. Um, but it's going to be a tactically interesting show because England has to see how they break that block. Mm-hmm. So players like, like Trippier or Saka or Phil Foden, if they uh, came in as the starters, they're going to have a really good job because Iron is a very physical uh, team. Yeah, well, they're, they're very, uh, I'll choose my words carefully here, they're a very aging side too. They are the oldest team yeah. in the tournament in qualifying. Iran's squad and of course, um, Carlos Kirish wasn't there for qualifying, but it just still the overall average uh, age for Iran during qualifying was 28.6. That's risen to 29 now. They're by far the oldest team at the tournament. They have so much experience in the side, but very little energy. There's no player under 23 in the team. And when you speak about as well their defensive structure, when they're in a settled block, they're pretty good. My biggest concern is that when you up the tempo and go between the lines, they've struggled. You look at that one-all draw with Senegal. Senegal got in behind several times just by playing between the lines. And then they were given enough time to turn. And the centre-halves are, again, with the full respect, are quite... But they're not the quickest, so they, they drop back instantly towards their own goal. They don't step up. So, of course, as soon as you turn, you got you got to run back because those passes will be played in behind. And then as well, when they had the ball in the final third and they lost it, they they really struggled to, to transition to defence because of the lack of energy in midfield. And this is something that England are pretty pretty decent at, actually, under Gareth Southgate. It's, it's quite an underrated... Um, mechanism in the side is how good they are in transition we, we p- people always label them as defensive and boring and okay that's fair enough in my opinion international football is not the most exciting anyway i don't think there's many exciting international teams you look at france in 2018 and they apart from that argentinian game the argentina game where they won 4-3 there wasn't that many games that they were involved in that were spectacles so i don't think they need to be exciting but they are deadly in transition and that's where i think iran will struggle obviously Satish, you spoke about earlier, you expect Iran to be very direct and they have uh, Mehdi Taremi and of course if Sarda Asmu and plays, then that, that, that would be great for them too. I expect them to come off the bench though. But they also have Karim Ansara Fard, who scored against Manchester United recently for Ammonia and Nicosia. He's an excellent player, really good at hold of play, but again, I think he's 32, 33. A very aging side. So, I want to ask you now, Satish, how, how far do you think England can go before we wrap up the this game 
uh, I think with ignoring the fact they had a very poor run in the Nations League, considering the fact they have performed well in the 2018 World Cup, going all the way to semi-finals and then the final, the final in the Euro 2020, I think they have a perfect squad to reach till at least semi-finals. Anything below that would be a complete disaster or disappointment. Well, Ali Reza Yahankbash recently spoke in an interview about playing England and he said that they have three teams good enough to play at the World Cup in terms of their depth. And, uh, and he's absolutely right. Yahankbash also spoke about Iran's chances and he said that their goal is to reach the knockout phase, which will be difficult. They're in a tough group. But he said that's their goal because they've never done it before, which, which, which is quite surprising because I don't think they've been at five or six World Cups now. I think this is their sixth and they've never reached the knockout phase. So I am looking forward to see how, how Iran get on. We all know about England. We know how they play. Iran are a bit of a surprise package. Fans weren't looking forward. Well, the consensus back in Iran, according to the media, it was the fans weren't overly looking forward to the World Cup when Skokic was in charge. But now that Kirosh is here, their standards have raised. Satish, I'll stay with you then for the second game we're going to discuss, which is the game between the Netherlands and Senegal. This is a really interesting game for me because the Netherlands are one of my favourites to win the tournament. I think they have a really, really good squad. They have excellent squad depth. I know Lee spoke yesterday about the lack of firepower going forward. But they still have Memphis Depay. They still have Cody Gakpo. They've, and then in midfield, of course, they've, they've Frankie de Jong and they've Van Dijk at the back with Daly Blind, who's the, who has the most caps in the squad at the minute. And Senegal don't have Sadio Mane, which is a massive, massive blow. How detrimental do you think that will be to Senegal's chances of taking a result here against the Netherlands? And how do you suppose that they go about looking to be such a, a, a gifted side? Uh, I think the absence of Sadio Mane would like, affect Senegal's chances of winning the game very much because what I personally felt was when watching the Netherlands play well, they're progressing in the game. There, there, there were times where the centre-back, they moved up the pitch and they were becoming a mid, like they were playing and acting as a midfielder to support the mm-hmm. attack of attack. So what I felt was when there's a chance, if there's a long ball, long ball through Senegal to one of the wingers, the presence of Mane would have been very, very good because Mane, with his face, with his experience, I think a counter-attacking option would have been very, very good. Especially with Koulibaly, like he's a very good progress of the ball and he's very good under pressure. And he so, hits those diagonals as well, like Van Dijk. Yeah, does. yeah exactly. And he plays on the right centre-back, Mane plays the, as the left winger. I think that would have been a perfect combination. So I personally felt the only way for Senegal to make a breakthrough would have been with the presence of Mane, with his space and his experience. But I think even we have Saar on the right wing, He's also like equally fast, but with less experience. But yeah, absence of Mane would like affect the chances of Senegal be like winning this game. In twenty nineteen, in a press conference, Aliou Cisse was cheekily asked, I'll say, by a reporter, does he think it's time for him to resign? And Aliou Cisse gave quite a, an interesting reply, something like, "I'll resign when you do." You know, it was. Quite, it was a it was a bite back to the reporter. I didn't like the question personally. I, I don't think that's a journalist's job to ask to ask that. You can criticise, but I don't think it's fair to ask someone should they they resign. And then, of course, less than three years later, they won the African Cup of Nations, and I would argue they're the best African side going into this tournament. They 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 do have a lot of quality, as I said. They they've Champions League players. Yes, okay, Mane is a massive massive loss. Of course, it is. He's a wonderful player. Senegal's greatest ever player. 
But I do like Cissé, and I think tactically he's excellent. Their midfield is really flexible how they play. They press high, but they're also good and when they sit back in a mid to low block. You know, the, like, and then, of course, I think if Mane is going, I think Illiman and DA might be the replacement, according to reports. Illiman and DA is with Sheffield United at the minute, and he is the top goal scorer in the championship, joined with Ollie McCrory, also of Sheffield United, so they're scoring quite a lot of goals for the centre-forwards. But he's also creating a lot of chances for Sheffield United. So I think it's a, it's a very good replacement. Yeah, very- but what I personally feel is that Senegal, if you look at their games in the last calendar year, in terms of attacking, they have been really good. Like touches in the penalty area has been very good. They have been good with making forward passes. Everything is good. But what they lack is the goals per match. They have been able to create chances. Their expected goals, their percentile of expected goals is way above the median. But when it comes to the actual output, that's what counts, right? They have to score. They have to make use of their chances. That is where they lack. And especially, this is where Mani's press, like absence would affect the team. Because they would, it's like they are losing a proper striker, like forward who could score. No, I agree. I agree. Brian, talk to me about the midfield battle then, because the Netherlands have an incredible midfield, of course, with the addition of, of Frankie de Jong, who's definitely one of the, the, the best midfielders in Europe at the minute. Lee Scott yesterday on the podcast spoke so highly about de Jong. I mean, we all know how truly wonderful he is. But Senegal have a decent midfield as well with a lot of energy. And you touched on their midfield yesterday. So talk to me how you think this game is going to pan out and, and why the midfield battle will be so, so important for the two teams. I think the midfield battle is going to be key in this game. Also, I was thinking about um, these long balls by Koulibaly too. And Mendy, he's not the mm. best short distribution keeper, but indeed he is a good long distribution keeper. You know, he attracts the pressure very well and then he chips the ball uh, the line of the forward line. So he skips uh, the pressure very well. I will expect Senegal to obviously attract the pressure because Netherlands are going to high press them. They are very good on that. Gakpo, uh, Bergwijn, and Depay are very good in 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 that aspect. So I will expect that Jong and and the other midfielder, who's mainly Coupe Miners, also went uh, go high on the pitch to press high. So I will expect that. But in the midfield, I think when Senegal uh, will have the ball with players like Idrissa Ganagay or Cheku Kuyate, I think Nampalis Mendy is going to be uh, a regular starter for... So you have players like very, very strong physically talking about Ghana Gay is a tireless player he has a great stamina and he wins the ball back very very often in the um, in in the midfield in, in the defensive third in the final third he's massive with that but not only physical you know Ghana Gay has this carrying ability and this technical ability that I like quite a lot Sheikou Kuyate is not that technically good like like gay but they have really strong players they're really good players they have pape gay in the bench also pape sar who hasn't really seen that a lot of minutes for tottenham hotspur but he was very good and league on for for mets mm-hmm. so as i mentioned before the world cup is a different tournament lots of players have are going to be to see minutes and, and to play a lot more of minutes than in, in the in their leagues i will expect 
Netherlands to have the possession, but it's going to be quite difficult for them if the possession and the midfield playing it side to side with that uh, physicality and their stamina from the Senegal midfield, you know. If they are a bit flat and they cannot break Senegal's block, I think that's going to be the key, that aggressive approach from the midfield that jumps of their lines, trying to win the ball back and to press Frankie de Jong, Coop Miners, uh, Stephen Bergis, who also play, drops a, lead, uh, a bit deep to, to help them. So, yeah, I think it's, that is going to be, aside the long balls to Bulaya Dia or Ismail Azar and that kind of one one v one duels that you may think, this is going to be a real interesting battle inside the pitch and also tactically how they are going to defend these situations and how they are going to attack these situations. I think Netherlands want to avoid these situations to be played in the middle tier or at their own tier, you know, because if Senegal goes high with this with pressing high, uh, the young or two minors who normally exchange it exchange heights you know like the young goes a bit deep to place uh, to play as a six or could minors in 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 other situation goes deep and the young goes up so that kind of exchanges between them could be the key to netherlands if avoid the pressing the pressing against midfielders but if they don't if they don't add their best form uh, tomorrow they're going to have problems against Senegal and if one of the midfielders if Ganagay, Kuyate or Nampalis Mendy uh, win the ball the wins the ball back against them they could release Ismail Azar on that on one wing or NDIA or uh, Krapin Diara I think is the left wing for them so they have pace to counter-attack and to make damage uh, uh, to Netherlands in transition mm-hmm. Satish, I posed the question earlier about England's potential formation against Iran and whether we believe the change from that 3-4-2-1 or the 4-2-3-1. Louis van Gaal has used a 4-3-3 and a 3-4-2-1. Of course, if he goes with a 4-3-3, you can have the youngest, the, say, the six, and he can drop between the central defenders, and then you and then the wing-backs push high, the, the, the wingers invert, and you have a 3-4-2-1 anyway. But if you have one less central defender, you have Frankie de Jong initiating the attacks, and he's played centre-half for Barcelona too, so playing in that deeper role in possession anyway isn't an issue. Do you see the Netherlands change formation to a 4-3-3, or will they stick with their 3-4-2-1 that they've come with in recent games? Uh, I think they would stick with the 3-4-2-1 in the recent games, because although Frankie has been playing as a central defensive midfielder for Barcelona, I think his best comes out when he's playing in a double mm-hmm. play. So I think the manager would prefer to go with 3-4-1-2. And something that I would like to add to what Brian was talking about, the tactical battle is like, uh, one thing that we should take into account is that Senegal are very good in terms of set pieces. Like their efficiency in set pieces has been really good. Of course, the competition level has been different. Like they play in Africa and like account competitions mm-hmm. and, you know, here it's in Europe. But something that should be taken into account is there ability in set pieces and Netherlands although they have a little bit of low percentile in terms of defensive duels they are very good in aerial duels so I think that would be a good tactical competition to see like how Senegal works out their set pieces to convert their chances if they do go to 4-3-3 I wrote an article about it was more than 12 months ago now when Louis van Gaal Force took over from from I think it was Frank de Boer it was September 2021 when it when it came out on the TFA website you can check it out but 
they were using a 4-3-3 and Van Hal spoke about the use of his fullbacks. I think it was Denzel Dumfries and Tyrell Malassia, of course, at Manchester United now. He was a fine art at the time. But he, he used the analogy of a steering wheel, which I, it always stuck with me because I, I love it. So, of course, one fullback would go up and the other would tuck inside. And then, of course, say Malassia tucked inside and Dumfries would go up. So he said it's like a steering wheel because one goes up, one goes down, which I love that analogy. But I think you're right. I think they will go with a 3 4 2 one. That's what they've gone in recent months. And Van Hal has been quite rigid, I think it's fair to say, in, in, in recent times in terms of changing formations. He's not, I mean, you saw at Manchester United, he was very hesitant to do so. And another point would be like, especially with Senegal, mostly trying to attack through their flanks. I think with the formation of 3-4-1-2, Netherlands in the defensive phase would probably go to a back five. So mm. when this happens, it it would make Senegal, like it would be difficult for Senegal to penetrate through the flank. So I think he would go with a 3-4-1-2. Yeah, I agree. Brian, I'll pose another question to you. And it's not really to do with these games we're previewing. And it might be a bit of a silly question, but we spoke about how, how Senegal will press high. And there's going to be a lot of nations at the tournament that do press high. I'm expecting most teams the press high. It's extremely hot over there at the minute. How do you, how, how would you go about balancing that? And do you think that's going to be a major effect? I mean, I've, I've seen videos of, of England training and they're dead on their feet after it. And they're using cooler machines to, to cool themselves yeah, down. Yeah. Pressing's going to be, for me, a serious problem because, okay, I understand coaches will, will want their teams to push high up the pitch and try and cause issues for the, the opposition when they're building out from the back. But yeah. surely, surely you need to to balance that a bit. So, okay, maybe we press force 15, then we drop off. How, how would you kind of go about doing that? And do you think that will pose a problem for many teams? Yeah, that's a big and interesting question, Adam. I would I like to add something to what Netherlands like to do in their, their formation. Sure, yeah, sure. And I'll uh, answer your question. I think one of the key elements to Netherlands to maintain their formation is Julian Timber. The way he plays and his role to play as a fullback and form and back, yeah, to set up a back four in attack, he goes inverted as a center midfielder. Defensively, if a, they're playing against a team that looks to de deploy a 10 or an attacking midfielder in the pitch, he goes and mark, and man mark him and that is absolutely fantastic. He's a very intelligent player. This allows John Fries to push very, very forward as a winger. So, yes, I think... Uh, I think just, just sorry, a... just touching on that point, Brian, actually, we spoke with England earlier. England do a very similar thing with Kyle Walker in terms of the rest defence structure. So when yeah. they have the ball high up the pitch, Kyle Walker will step forward because if the midfielder, so it's Rice or Bellingham or Rice or Phillips, whoever plays, and they're occupied, Kyle Walker steps forward because he's so quick off the mark, whereas yeah. likely, likely we'll see Maguire and Eric Dyer as the other two centre-halves. And I think with the fullest respect, we saw, we've seen Harry Maguire's performances when he plays in the high line. This season especially, he gives, when he steps out to close down, when, you know, the, the ball's turned over, he's a really bad tendency to give away fouls. So I think it's best that they drop forward towards goal. But I actually wrote about recently in a preview for the Sun for TFA that if Kyle Walker does step out, Iran can hit those balls over the top past Dyer and Maguire because they are on the back foot. They won't step out. You can catch them in a foot race. I think that's a weakness of England. And you said about Urien Timber, his role and Kyle Walker are very, very similar, albeit different kind of systems. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you play in a fluid back three with lots of rotations, like Netherlands like to do, mm-hmm. and you have an intelligent man like a Timber or Walker who drops off to join the the back three or go or goes up thanks to his, for to his speed, these kind of situations are going to be seen. Uh, very much in the Netherlands system. Timber likes to pu- uh, push forward, actually, and, and play as a midfielder or stay back and leave Ake to carry the ball forward, who is massive in this uh, kind of uh, situations. He's a very big progressor and certainly more in the in carrying the ball. He's massive in, in, in that situation. But yes, I, I like to add that because I think Timber is one to watch in at, at, at Netherlands, I think that him and Gakpo are my my two uh, players to watch at uh, at Netherlands. And answering your question, that is a massive question and, and a massive point of this World Cup and temperatures and the heat. I've seen the videos of England; they are dying. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hot, and they have to 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 cool them down and I think teams are going to press high in some minutes but it's not going like we saw at European qualifiers or African qualifiers or South American qualifiers where teams press that high. I mean Argentina are a high pressing team in the at the finalissima against Italy. Italy. Mm-hmm. They pressed them very, very, very high and during all the game they I think they scored two or one goal. Uh, like this, like pressing high, winning the ball back, and and running the, against the last defensive line. So it's going to be quite a question for for managers. Yeah, and because... I mean, even even when you look at uh, Project Reset, I think or Project Restart, sorry, which which was the the Premier League when it broke for COVID. When it came back, it was on during I think it was July and August, and it was it was quite hot in England, upwards of twenty five to thirty degrees. Yeah, and the drop off in pressing statistics was 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 terrifying because teams were, albeit okay, again they they weren't as fit because they had a couple of months break. But the heat as well it killed pressing statistics, so teams weren't pressing high as much and they were dropping off. And of course, this is a different animal. Yeah, it's totally a different animal. And when you think of Qatar and how this can affect to teams, like there are teams that make chances uh, pressing mm-hmm. high and that, that is his, their system you know and to change that is wow it's really uh, questionable so I remember well I, I not that I remember but I've seen it constantly in the South American qualifiers Bolivia at La Paz teams don't go there to high press because players can die at that, that high you know <laughs> La Paz is very very high and Teams often like to sit in the mid-block, wait for Bolivia to play, and then mm-hmm. they're going to run in, in direct football and counter-attacks. They prefer that because, you know, the one thing is to play football like you want, but other than you are a person, you are a human, and, and, and this can totally affect your health. Yeah, no, I fully agree, and I'm, I'm interested to see how... how pressing is, is approached, really, throughout this World Cup. Satish, just before we wrap up, what are your predictions then for, for these two matches that we've previewed? Uh, I think England versus Iran, I would go with 3-0 for England. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, Netherlands versus Senegal, I think I would go for 3-1 for Netherlands. Love it. Brian, how about you? I think England is going to win yeah, 2-0, maybe. Um, Netherlands, aside, they don't have that goal scorer, as Lee said uh, yesterday. I think they're going for a yeah, 3-0, 3-1. I don't see Senegal not scoring goals. So, yeah, I'm going for a 3-1. Uh, I saw yesterday, Mehdi Tarimi was very confident against England. He said that they were going to draw 1-1 and, and they were going to win against USA and Wales. So, we have to see. They're mentally very strong. <laughs> well, if they pick up seven points over possible nine in, in this really tough group, I will say, hands down, Fair play to Carlos Kiros and his players because I think he's living in dreamland, unfortunately. Brian, Satish, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been episode two of the TFA Daily World Cup podcast. We'll be bringing you podcasts every single day throughout the tournament. Of course, hosted by myself. And you'll be sick of hearing my voice by the end. Thank you all for listening and join us again tomorrow as we preview the next group of fixtures. Goodbye for now.